From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis and the Mississippi Delta for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide, major funding for Bill Street Caravan is provided by the AutoZone Corporation and Memphis Tourism. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cuppins. This week on Bill Street Caravan, we have rock and roll outfit, Low Cut Connie. Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis will join us as well to deliver another installment of the Blues Hall of Fame, an exploration of the lives of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis, Tennessee. It's brought to you by the Blues Foundation. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, Kevin. This week on the program, we have Low Cut Connie. Low Cut Connie is a straight-up rock and roll band, maybe the best in the business at what they do. Last time we had them on the show, maybe three years ago, they were celebrating the release of 2015's High Honey. They have since released two studio efforts, Dirty Pictures Part 1 and Dirty Pictures Part 2. So sounds like we have a lot of catching up to do. I remember noting last time how refreshing to me personally Low Cut Connie is, how they push all my buttons at once. It's pure, raw rock and roll. You just like all the loud guitars. I like all the piano, too. Well, they captured that spirit, the fire, the original intent of the founding fathers, Sam Phillips, Dewey Phillips, Ike Turner, Jerry Lee, and so on. There's a lot of Memphis in their DNA. There really is a lot of Memphis in their DNA. That's right. Frontman Adam Weiner spent part of his musically formative years here in Memphis, where, when he wasn't studying musicology at the University of Memphis, he worked as an intern for the public radio program you're listening to right now. We caught up with Adam and the guys in Low Cut Connie at their recent performance at the Lovett Shell, which is about the best Memphis homecoming show you could ever ask for. Pretty perfect, and quite a leap from the dive bar confines of the Buccaneer Lounge, which is the last place we caught them. Here's Low Cut Connie, live on Beale Street Caravan. Okay! Treat me on a dance, cause even that is fine. 
these kids are just way Service with a smile, but I ain't so good at rolling with these shame. 
Here's more from Low Cut Connie, live on Beale Street Caravan. Let me see some hands. I used to be a soldier. Now I'm getting old. I start to feel so lazy. It starts to make me crazy. Chasing down the truth. 
live on Bill Street Caravan. For more info on the band, head on over to lowcutconnie.com. We'll be back with more music from the band in just a bit. Up next, Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis takes us through the life histories of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. This segment is brought to you by the Blues Foundation and is also available as a standalone podcast through iTunes. Over here, everybody, we're going to bring them all it started out with the sound of crazy talk coming towards my house when I was a boy, all loud. In our town, Macon, Georgia, we had preachers up and down the streets and women singing spirituals, but this sounded different, almost like a ghost, but wilder, almost angry. It had no words, but I think I understood it. I stepped off the sidewalk toward my house when I heard it, and then I saw them. Dr. Nobilio wore a red turban and a gold cape. Next to him walked a strange little dude with big eyes. He was the one who made the ghost sound. That would be Richard. He carried Dr. Nobilio's Freaks of Nature, a bunch of stuff that grew out of the earth but looked like people. He had a sweet potato shaped like a face and a tree band like a skeleton hand. The noise and freaks brought a crowd. Once people arrived, Richard and Nobilio shook him on down. Richard performed healings, and Nobilio read fortunes, all for entertainment purposes, of course. People wrote questions about the future to Nobilio, and he'd burn the slips of paper without reading them before he gave a person's fate. You might be wondering, now how would a kid think he should be a faith healer? Well, one time, Richard went to the bathroom in a box and gave it to a crippled old lady wrapped up like a present. When she opened it, she threw down her crutch and chased after him. When that crippled woman started running, Richard decided he had the power to cure. That woman didn't need her crutches anymore after he got through with his trick. And that hooked him up with Dr. Nobilio. Nobilio blessed a ginseng root that looked like a wizard and gave it to Richard. I don't think it was real magic. Everybody knew Richard was going to blow up big as dynamite. I think Nobilio was just putting a down payment on taking credit for it. Now that you're rich and famous, you remember that root I gave you, like that. But it wasn't about to be easy. First time I went to Richard's house, the place was loaded with kids. I asked his mama how many she had. She said 11. She cocked her head at Richard and said, he's the most trouble of any of them. They lived halfway between the neighborhood beer joint called the Tip End and the Church of God. Sometimes the songs poured out of both places and mixed at Richard's house. Richard's father, Bud, did a little preaching, sold a little moonshine, halfway between. He had to work both ends of the street to feed all those mouths. When me and Richard got older, we went downtown where all the theaters, cafes, and barbershops were on a street we called Broadway. 
That was home of some colorful folk. Dr. Nobilio would be around there, but not even he was the wildest sight to behold. That'd be this powerful railroad man who wore high-heeled shoes, a funky gown, and big hat with a feather on it. I don't know what they called him on the railroad, but on Broadway, she became Madame Oop. She had a friend with her called Sis Henry who twirled a pink parasol. They wore lacy gloves. They swished around Broadway with their chirpy voices. As soon as they got to fighting, them voices went all deep again. <laughs> that was okay in those days. Nobody bothered them. In fact, Richard became quite interested. He swished along with them. At home, he put on his sister's pink pedal pushers and dabbed his mama's rose water on his face. Most trouble of any of them. This upset Bud quite a bit. Bud was pure man, no halfway between there. Nothing he could do about it, though. Richard started cruising at night. I did, too, sometimes. We sat in the coffee shop at the Greyhound station and watched the buses. He said, I love to see them big things going in and out. I didn't care for that, but he cackled like a cuckoo. He sat there watching the people get off the bus. When I saw his eyes open wide, he said, Whoa, boy. I looked. Whoa, boy. Wore face powder, curled eyelashes, and two-toned shoes. He came in. We met him called himself Escarita. Richard laughed like a cuckoo and called him Excretia. They walked off together to Richard's. Turned out Escarita played some serious piano and he taught Richard. Richard learned fast. Makeup drag piano, it all hit him. It all hit Bud even harder. That, my friends, is when Richard had to go. I went along. We caught on with a raggedy big band. That's where he first got the name Little Richard. The band had his name printed up on posters and hung them all over the station wagon we rode in. When we got back to making in that thing, Richard was joyful. The big station wagon drove through the neighborhood with all those signs on it. He thought he had made it until he saw his father's face. Bud really would not have approved of his son's next job. Little Richard became Princess Levon. He wore an evening gown and heels higher than Madame Oops. Totally unable to walk in those shoes, the band had to pick him up and carry him to the microphone before curtain, and then he just stood there trying to sing his heart out without falling down. He did something right because that earned him his first chance to record. He sang real pretty, sounded more like Ruth Brown than Roy Brown, though. Once the record came out, he went directly back on the road with a new act. He played piano with a bunch of other people, almost like stuntmen, tap dancing with furniture in their mouths. At the end of the set, I'd introduce the performance to the crowd and save him for last. And little Richard, king of the blues. And he'd holler, and the queen too. Like I said, no big deal back then. Every nightclub had its shake dancer and female impersonator. We hung around New Orleans at the Dewdrop. I remember they had an impersonator named Patsy Vidalia. Patsy had hairy legs. Richard talked bad on Patsy. Looked like he got hit with a ball and didn't get well. On Valentine's Day, we got a job to play at the Cotton Club in Macon. We decided to surprise his mama, but we got surprised. Bud was working up at the Tip Inn, and we waited up to see him. 
got to be near midnight when we heard gunshots up the street. Me and Richard ran toward the tip end. Richard got there first. He pushed open the door. The place cleared out from the trouble. It was just us and silence. We saw his daddy laying there, bleeding from the chest. But it had already gone when Richard got to him. We stood there in shock. I didn't know what to say. Richard just sort of looked around like he hoped to wake up out of this nightmare. I could see tears filling his eyes. In that deathly silence, the jukebox clicked on. It startled us awake. Then the speaker hummed. We heard the needle drop on the record, the static, and then the song. Richard's new one. The tears just spilled down his face. He and his dad had a lot of trouble, but hearing that record go on was like Bud telling Richard how proud he felt. So Richard put on his mama's makeup and went out to beat daddy for that family. I always believed that his father's death drove little Richard to rock and roll. He still got stuck in novelty acts. He sang the way he dressed, mostly pretty, but he had some wild stuff too. He just didn't take the stuff seriously. Whenever he got the chance to record, he got nervous. He couldn't be his true self. Every hour, was nice, but that wasn't no kid who did his business in a box and picked up dates at the bus station. That's where it stuck when we went to New Orleans to record. It was probably his last chance to blow up as big as dynamite. It almost got away. The producer, this dude Bumps, got so frustrated he called for a break and everyone went down to the dewdrop. Now here Richard felt right. This was Patsy Vidalia's house. You didn't have to worry about what America thought of you at the dewdrop. And so Richard jumps on the piano and tears into his big drag song. A womp bomba loobop, a good god dang tutti fruity, good booty. Bump starts yelling, that's what I want from you, Richard, that's a hit. You know what happened? Big as dynamite, just like Dr. Nabilio said. Now out on the road, little Richard didn't get paid by check. He got paid by a briefcase. One night, we were blazing down the highway in a canary yellow Fleetwood Cadillac. On the radio, we heard Tutti Fruity starting up, only it wasn't Richard's voice. He said, that ain't all, Rudy. But we listened and finally figured out what happened. Richard starts laughing. He started going like a cuckoo, like he did his business in a box and gave it to somebody. Finally, he settled down and said, I wonder if Pat Boone knows what he's singing about. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. 
Bill Street Caravan has been bringing the sounds of Memphis to public radio airwaves for more than 20 years. And now you can see what we've been talking about. Check out our series of digital shorts through our website or go to iListenToMemphis.com. I Listen to Memphis is about Memphis music today, the musicians who make it, and the places and culture that fuel it. Again, it's iListenToMemphis.com. AutoZone is proud to support Bill Street Caravan and many other arts organizations that strengthen the greater Memphis community. Parts are just part of what we do. AutoZone.com. Bill Street Caravan is also supported by awards from Memphis Tourism, Tennessee Arts Commission, Arts Memphis, and Tennessee Tourism. TennesseeVacation.com. The soundtrack of America was made in Tennessee. We're back, and for those of you just tuning in, we've got Philly-based rock and rollers Low Cut Connie on the program with us. Low Cut Connie has had quite the winning streak lately. The band is ubiquitous in music writers' best of list, and their live shows have become the stuff of legend. NPR labeled them the essence of rock and roll last year. And they've been called the best live band in America over and over again. And in our opinion, they've backed that superlative up over and over again. But I have to mention one more thing, and I know everybody brings this up, but it's so amazing that it bears repeating. Right before he left office, President Obama released his Spotify playlist that he was listening to, and right there, in between Aretha, Al Green, Stevie Wonder, there was Low Cut Connie. And Adam Weiner was invited to the White House to meet the first family. That's crazy. But I guess within the context of everything going on with his band, maybe not too crazy. I read recently Elton John reached out and gave his stamp of approval on Low Cut Connie too. That's incredible. Well, let's get back to the Levitt Shell in Midtown Memphis and hear more from the band. Here's more from Low Cut Connie live on Bill Street Caravan. Beverly, come on and talk to 
sitting in an authentic Memphis dressing room where Elvis has done God knows what in this room. And uh, it's about 95 degrees outside. People are very agitated, but they're good agitated. They're ready for rock and roll agitated. They're ready to get their hair messed up agitated. And we're trying to get you, the radio listeners, agitated. Do you know what I'm saying? So we're here at the Levitt Shell in Memphis the city where I studied with some of the greats, fell in love with Sun Records, fell in love with Sam Phillips, fell in love with Stax, Willie Mitchell. Got to learn from a piano player here who has passed. His name was Mose Vinson, V-I-N-S-O-N. He used to play piano at the Center for Southern Folklore here. And uh, in the 50s, early 50s, he played at Sun Records on a bunch of early blues stuff for Sam Phillips, and I saw his kind of Mississippi Delta boogie whorehouse piano that got in my bones, and that I learned a lot from that. And it's pretty cool to be back here all these years later, uh, headlining a show at The Shell, and uh, playing some of that music tonight. Yeah, when you were last here, you played the Buccaneer. There was about eight people there, but those eight people will remember it. And that was a really cool, authentically raunchy little bar. And uh, tonight we're playing for a very mixed crowd, but Memphis people are crazy, you know? Memphis people love rock and roll, so we're not gonna hold back at all. Yeah, but we're gonna do a special Memphis thing tonight. We're gonna play a song by Alex Chilton from Big Star. And Alex and Big Star, their music was a real big influence on me. I heard their music when I was around 18, 19 years old, Big Star third. That music got in my blood, and then we got to go come down here to Ardent and record here and become friends with Jody from Big Star. And uh, so we thought since we're here in town, we would do a little tribute to Alex Chilton, who uh, I think is a highly underrated, brilliant, brilliant songwriter. Just to put it in context for your listeners, I was the intern at Beale Street Caravan in 2001 when I was about six years old, essentially. <laughs> And I worked for the late, great Sid Selvage, who was just wonderful to me, very kind and very encouraging to me with my music and in my love for collecting records. And uh, it's just very cool to be back here tonight. So how long have you been out on the road? Well, people say to me, how was the tour? And I don't know what they mean anymore because it's kind of like all one tour. You know, like Bob Dylan's Never Ending Tour. That's sort of what we got going on. We, we're doing over 120 shows this year, so we're just pretty much traveling constantly, and that's what you gotta do. Yeah, to keep growing the band and uh, 
spreading the word and uh, getting more and more people into the tent. And so um, this is probably our uh, 80-something show of 2018, and next year's going to be just as busy. We're going to be in Europe at least once next year, Australia. Any of your listeners overseas, we're trying to get to you. Just uh, stick with us. On Dirty Pictures, each volume has a cover. We've talked about Alex and Hey Little Child. Tell them about the other cover. Well, we did a Prince song called Controversy that's probably familiar to some of your listeners. And that was a feat in and of itself to be able to put that out. You know, if you cover Prince, you better bring your A game. And, he, you know, he's probably my greatest influence in terms of live performers. I mean, James Brown, Prince, Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, Tina Turner is one of my favorites. These are the people that I look up to. They say study the greats, those are the greats. And so the band was feeling pretty good and I thought we'd take a swing at controversy. It seemed like the right timing and it came out pretty good. A few of the high profile sort of things that have gotten you some extra special attention lately. One, of course, was President Barack Obama. Tell that story about him choosing you for one of his summer playlists. Well, he put our song on his uh, 2015 20 Favorite Summer Songs playlist on Spotify. And of course, it was like Aretha Franklin and the Rolling Stones and Sly and the Family Stone and Low Cut Connie. And everybody was confused and I was confused, but it was really a wonderful thing for us. And then just over the last couple years since then, other kind of high-profile people have gotten into the band, like Bruce Springsteen, who I met this summer, and our biggest fan is Elton John. Um, I was just with him last week, and he's played us about five times on his radio show and has just been so encouraging to the band. And um, it's very cool when your heroes scoop you, tell you you're doing something right, and to keep going, you know? And I got to go to the show and meet with him, and then he dedicated Don't let the sun go down on me uh, to, to us. You can see it on YouTube, and that was pretty mind-blowing. Howard Stern, another high-profile yes. fan of yours. You know, Howard Stern, uh, his people reached out. They fell in love with the band and asked us to be part of this David Bowie tribute that he put together with uh, Miley Cyrus and all these people and Smashing Pumpkins and... So we did a cover of Diamond Dogs, and that was pretty neat. Can you sort of describe the, the latest studio work ethic you've been digging on? Well, I guess it's a lot like Sun Studios, a lot like Sam Phillips. Just get people in a room and try and make some magic happen quickly and don't talk about it too much. You know, I'm trying to shorten the distance between my brain and the tape. So not a lot of discussion, not a ton of planning amongst the group, just try and fly by the seat of my pants and get it, get the idea as pure and as quickly as possible. And uh, that's how I like to do things these days. It can be pretty wild, but when the magic does happen, the lightning strikes, you capture lightning in a bottle. You can really strike out, but when you nail it, it feels really good. If you want to check out tour dates or get any info on Low Cut Connie, tell them where they should go. LowCutConnie.com and all the associated internet social medias. And um, I encourage any of your listeners to just come check out a show. We're always on the road and uh, come do a taste test. You won't be disappointed. All right, sign us off and we'll get back to the music. Well, this is Adam from Low Cut Connie and you are listening to Beale Street Caravan.
Here's more from Low Cut Connie, live on Beale Street Caravan. Just in a fall, 
no black and white, I wish there were no rules. People call me rude, I wish we all were nude. I wish there was no black and white, I wish there were no rules. People call me rude, I wish we all were nude. I wish there was no black and white, I wish there were no That was Low Cut Connie, live on Bill Street Caravan. For more info on the band and their studio releases, head over to lowcutconnie.com. They have a members-only fan club known as the Connie Club. Be sure to check that out. And don't forget to take a look at their tour dates. They're on the road, and chances are they're coming to an area near you soon. And this is a live show you don't want to miss. Special thanks to our supporters, AutoZone, Memphis Tourism, Arts Memphis, Tennessee Arts Commission, and Tennessee Tourism for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible. We'd like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public radio. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. We want to remind our listeners you can find Bill Street Caravan on all social media outlets. Do you love Memphis music? Tell us why and use hashtag IListenToMemphis. Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can always keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available through iTunes. We'll be back next week. So until then, I'm Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Kevin Cubbins. You've been listening to the Sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Mm-hmm.